0: From the Polium Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media. We're doing a special podcast today, looking at net neutrality from several different angles. As the FCC prepares to vote on whether or not to roll back net neutrality regulations, I thought it might be important to ask some questions that I have, and that I'm guessing you have too. What's at stake here in terms of the democratic process, in terms of the politics of representation, in terms of innovation? How does this even work technically? And what are the policy implications? In order to get at some of these questions, I've asked four guests to come join me in the podcast studio. Our podcast will be distributed as four separate installments for ease of listening and sharing. But I hope you'll see them as being of a piece that seeks to expand our understanding of what's at stake with net neutrality. Part 2. New Marginalized Spaces. In this installment, I sit down with Professor Leanne Goins, who teaches courses on, among other things, women and the Internet, and media and marginalized bodies at DePaul University. We talked about what rolling back net neutrality regulations might mean in terms of access and participation for historically marginalized groups. So, net neutrality, we all know... Uh, is really talked about in terms of um, whether our speeds will slow down or, mm-hmm. or speed mm-hmm. up or, or our mm-hmm. access will speed down or slow up mm-hmm. or um, how, will, uh, how will big media giants dominate the industry. But one of the right. angles that seems really important to me is to think about how issues of access and representation get played out in a net neutrality kind of um, um, scenario where mm-hmm. We don't often talk about those kinds of things, but I'd like to think about it in terms of the way people access and the way people and, and the way identities are represented and those kinds of things as they yeah. as they apply to net neutrality. What, do you, what are some of your thoughts about what we should be thinking about?
1: So I have kind of two different ways that I like to think about net neutrality as it like relates to access and representation. And so I teach a class, um, Women in the Internet, in most spring semesters. And we start the class talking about how um, girls and women engage in STEM fields or don't, right? And how they their engagement in STEM and IT fields actually help pave the way for what we understand to be the internet, right? So we talk about the original computers, we talk about, you know, um, a lot of different things. But within that, we also talk about barriers to accessing STEM and IT fields, careers, narratives that you get that tell you you don't really belong. And so there are these awesome programs that come in to play girls who code black girls code there are a lot of different ones but they're all predominantly housed in terms of accessing them online (laughs) and so when we think about shifting how we are able to access or who has to pay pay to play right i have to pay for faster speeds i have to pay to be able to have you access this or can you even find it based upon the internet service provider i have right that is going to add an additional barrier so i'm a huge huge Steelers fan And so, being in the AFC South, I don't really get to watch the Steelers no. play, right? Like in order to watch them play I have to pay for yeah. access to AFC yeah. North, right? And so this is what this is what cable companies do all of the time. They make you pay in order to engage certain services. And so this is what we're seeing happening with the internet. And so this isn't about like, oh man, I can't watch my favorite team, you know, play on Sunday or whatever yeah. day. It, it's one thing to, you know, have to pay in order to watch your favorite team play and to wear your colors and to be a fan. It's something completely different when we start thinking about the access to a field, the access to an education, access to pursuing a major that you you know you love, or at least feeling like you're wanted and valued in that space, right? And girls get messages throughout school that they're not. Um, Good at math or they're not mm-hmm. good in science, and girls who code and black girls code in particular intervene in that space. And so what does it mean with net neutrality if Black Girls Code, which is, you know, predominantly run through fundraising and organizing, right? And, and and getting monies from different places, what does it mean if they now have to spend that money that's supposed to be going to involving young girls in coding into making sure you can even access their website to be able to find them? Yeah. Right? So now we're not just restricting access. To a particular thing, but now we're actually directly impacting people's livelihoods mm-hmm. and their ability to do what they like. Because
0: they might be competing at that point yes. with um, companies like, I don't know, let's just say Pearson or Khan mm-hmm. Academy that have yeah. pretty deep pockets.
1: The Khan Academy has great pockets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that want access to yes. your educational opportunities. Yes. And so they're willing to pay a little bit more, potentially. And then their preference. And
1: their preference, right? Yeah. Or or they are able to pay more so they get faster speeds. Exactly. And so, you know, we know people are, you know, we're like, oh, squirrel, squirrel. Right. So yeah. we we have a very <laughs> short attention span. And so if I consistently go to a website yeah. and it takes five, seven minutes for it to load, or even two minutes for it to load, oh, yeah. I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna go to the quicker website, right? And so there are multiple ways that this actually has clear impacts um, on smaller organizations. On people of color, on women mm-hmm. and on other groups that tend to have uh, fewer or lesser representations in in media
0: so and that 's really interesting to me because one of the um things that we talk about with net neutrality one of the arguments is this idea of innovation mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. on the one hand the pro net neutrality folks are going are saying look people aren't going to innovate they're, they're gonna, this, this is how things happen yeah. right the free internet yeah. is how things happen and the the folks who are against net neutrality or who would like to see it rolled back say we're not going to get investors to be able to innovate in the way that we need to for our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. both sides are arguing the innovation uh, mm-hmm. just thing. Just in different ways. In different ways. So how, how do you see it from, from a perspective of, as you said, access to largely underrepresented groups and, mm-hmm. and um, the kinds of cultural materials that we produce and, and have now started to see the light of day? How does this potentially impact that?
1: So if we think about innovation, you know, in- innovation has been happening in the digital sphere in a multitude of ways. And I think one of the ways that we've seen that happen is that there, there are only certain representations of women of color on um, primetime or mainstream mm-hmm. networks, yeah. right? And so we have um, women like Issa Rae creating, you know, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl and that being housed on um, YouTube, this amazing space where people can innovate, they can create there are very uh, few restrictions right that you have and so i remember falling in love with misadventures of awkward black girl Mm -hmm. like the hallway scene like all of it like my life completely And so, you know, that that innovation is definitely there. But if we start talking about restricting or or paying to play or, you know, advertisers no longer having to cater to certain audiences, then it's going to begin to foreclose those opportunities, right? So it's not that the innovation won't be there, but it is that I won't have the same access to Mm -hmm. that innovation. And I won't see that innovation. I won't see myself represented. And so it goes back to the problems I had before when I would turn the television on and see very few representations of myself.
0: I think one of the things that we also need to keep in mind is that historically, we've been here before in mm-hmm. some ways. So if you look back to the history of broadcasting, you know, there was this moment when it was kind of the Wild West, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And then there was this kind of sense of, okay, things are a little bit unwieldy and there's money to be made, right? Right. And so you end up with these new kind of uh, licensing agreements Mm -hmm. and what you find, and I'm going to oversimplify this, but essentially we went from a situation where education and I think political broadcasting, religious broadcasting, all of those things were kind of in the mix. And then the licensure or the licensing structure started to preclude those Mm -hmm. things because Mm -hmm. of a general interest and public interest mandate that one uh, special interests were removed from the from the airways or at least pushed to the margins. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that we're kind of back there where yes. a potential danger where, quote-unquote, special, special interests. interests or marginalized
1: People. groups and, yes. and yes.
0: identities are going to be sort of pushed Further. out to the margins. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that's what we will see happening. So, I mean, this is... Advertisers are very intentional, right? Mm-hmm. And money is to be made through that. Yeah. Like the Super Bowl makes billions of dollars, <laughs> right? Like this is, people put a lot of money into those yeah. into those ads. And so, like when you start to regulate and and force people to engage and open a platform, then you dissuade or you at least kind of limit that from happening, yeah. right? And and that's what we started to see. I think that's what we are seeing um, within the internet um, and the. Different shows that we have, the platforms that are available, but I think with net neutrality, we'll start to see those special interest groups be pushed further and further out for in a multitude of ways, right? It's not just in um, your ability to produce a show and you know to pay for your ISB for to have somebody look at yeah. it, right? It's not just going to be in getting a plug or a spot on somebody else's program and you know paying to play that way. I think it's also going to happen in advertisers and other companies being. Very strategic and saying, Oh, if I can pay a little bit more money than you, um, all natural, organic hair care line for women with natural hair, like I can create the same thing as you. But, you know, I have more money. And so, you know, I can I can put my product forward. And so, you know, those people who do not have as much money are going to continue to be pushed out. And so, yeah. like, I may still be able to access certain products. Oh, sure. I may be able to still see certain representations. Sure. But the people who are promoting that and the people who are providing that or, or, or giving me the opportunity to engage aren't going to be the same. Right. And yeah. so that's when we have to start thinking about, like, the actual Impacts on populations and not necessarily just what am I seeing, what am I having access to in terms of like a commodity that can be bought and
0: sold. Yeah, um, yeah and I think a this, this gets us back to also the, just the general notion of ownership, right? So that mm-hmm. as uh, different corporate structures begin to develop, as they get allowed into more and more fields, and they begin to develop their own products, mm-hmm. their own versions of things, mm-hmm. Um, You have these big players with a lot of relatively um, um, Mm risk-averse kind of mindsets, I should say, um, (laughs) who start to dominate the field. And then you don't get the kind of innovation that you might see in something like… Um, Anissa Rae. or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it strikes me that while all of this could be argued on a on an institutional, uh, financial, technical structure, we really are talking about the way that our cultural representations and our our our, our way of accessing information and and. Mm-hmm creativity of others is really in play here
1: it is it's it's absolutely in play it's absolutely in play and it's in it's in small ways that we don't that we maybe take for granted or we don't think about my youngest sister um is a blurred she's a black nerd total black nerd and i love her (laughs) right i'm also super nerdy like that's just who we are um and she does um what is it called fan fiction yeah Right? She's obsessed oh, yeah. with fan fiction. She <laughs> loves manga. She loves, like, all of these, these places, right? All of these sites that she goes yeah. to to engage. And, you know, some of them are designed and created by and for people of color, right? Or mm-hmm. people with que- queer identities or people who don't fit kind of this imagined white heteronormative heterogender audience. And so what happens when those websites become fewer? What happens when we can't find those websites? What happens when those spaces cease to exist, right? We're not – this isn't some imagined like, oh, man, I can't watch my football game, right? Like it's no. It's not that. This actually has real tangible consequences on my life, my understanding of self, my ability to feel that I am represented and actually to see myself and then to find community, yeah. right? Because it's not just about seeing yourself and being represented but actually being able to find your community and speak to your people. And right now we're talking about limiting or restricting your access to be able to do that. But we're putting it in this like pretty pattern package and saying, well, listen, it's really not that bad. You know, it's just, you know, you might have to pay a little bit more or maybe not. And Mm -hmm. this is going to create innovation and people are going to like fight and claw and work, you know, three times as hard to get their stuff out there. But at the end of the day, if you already have populations that have lesser access to social capital and social goods, right? And they already have lower socioeconomic statuses for a multitude of historical reasons, right? Um, um, and exclusions, and now you're adding financial barriers onto it. You are restricting, right, mm-hmm. and continuing this process of restricting and controlling populations and disallowing them from full participation in the internet. Yeah. And I think that's what we really need to think about in, in a multitude of ways. It can be, you know, the, the tiny little hair care or skincare line that you found, um, that's like, you know, Rana, Rihanna's Fenty only <laughs> like on a budget that you can afford. <laughs> (laughs) Right, Um, So, you know, it can be something like that. It can be uh, an organic hair care product that you found on Instagram, right, that has their own website. But if they have to pay for their website and pay for you to be able to find it, they're not going to be able to do it, right? And it's also in our our television programming or, in quotes, TV programming, thinking about, like, um, YouTube series and and other series like that. So it has the possibility to create innovation, but innovation from whom? Who has the money to
0: do it? Well, and, and also, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, again, historically, Again, we've been here before. If you think about I think about rock and roll and I think about the way that, you know, it was impossible it wasn't impossible, but it was really difficult to Mm -hmm. hear black voices Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the forties and fifties. Right. And unless they were filtered through white voices, right?
1: And then if you were part of the general populace, you probably didn't even realize
0: that. And then you didn't realize that. (laughs) Right. And it wasn't you know, and that went on for decades and Mm -hmm. decades and decades until Mm -hmm. and you know, frankly, I don't think we're out of it.
1: No, right? I, I don't think very many people even, like, really know who Chuck Berry is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, really care, right? Yeah. I mean, but yeah. they sure
0: like, the Beach Boys yes. and Elvis, yes. And, yes. Right? and mm-hmm. you know, not to mm-hmm. denigrate the Beach Boys, but still, the idea is that these were voices on the margins in an industry that was structured around um, power and control, mm-hmm. That was largely in the hands of, let's face it, a kind of white heteronormative mm-hmm. uh, patriarchal system. To yes. put it in those terms, yes. yeah. that denied access. Intentionally, and so I don't so. think this yeah. is a fantasy to think that mm-hmm. access could be denied.
1: Yes, and it will create very similar. Um, Disenfranchisement that it did before, mm-hmm. right? It, it absolutely disenfranchises populations. When you create something and you make something and you love it and you breathe life into it, and then somebody comes along and takes it from you and makes millions of mm-hmm. dollars on it, right? While you get no credit, that disenfranchises you. And so, like, we're now in a space where, again, people can make things, but if you don't have the money to put it forward and you don't have the platform to be able to represent it as yours, then it's going to be. Taken Right. And if we're honest about who these media elite are, right, and who actually has the money to pay for these ISPs and to pay to have, you know, higher speeds or to be bundled into the package, you know, like it's, it's not going to be your, you know, mostly minority populations. Um, And that's, I mean, I think that's really what we need to grapple with when Mm -hmm. we start to think about net neutrality. Um, who is it going to impact? Why? Who gets to maintain control? And what is it actually going to do? And I think it's it's. I think for me, it becomes even more interesting. My partner and I just moved out to the country in mm-hmm. Greencastle, and so I had heard like people in Greencastle don't have internet. I was like, Psh, that's not real life. <laughs> and then I moved out to the country, and I was like, so like where do I get my interwebs? Like seriously. And they were like, um, okay, what? And I was like, no, no, no. But seriously, like where do I get my internet? They're like, oh no, they put it down. You know the last West- one walnut but they didn't they didn't leave it down our street and so three weeks ago we got internet oh. at my house. Wow. Um and then somebody messed up the box and was gone for like a week and then it came back and it was just really interesting space. Like I've been wired for so much of my life yeah. to no longer be wired. It was you know it was crazy. And so when we think about, you know, I'm paying forty dollars a month now for craptastic internet, but I'm online, yeah. right? And now you're asking me to pay even more, right? To be able to access sources and places and sites and maybe even news, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I might have to pay more to get, you know, um, the New York Times or I might have to pay yeah. more to get the New Yorker and, you know, all of these these um, sites of amazing um, information and knowledge. And, you know, I'm a professor, so I make a certain amount of money, right? Yeah. But if I'm part of the local Greencastle populace, that's not my bread and butter, right? No. Like I'm not making that much money. And then to ask me again to spend even more, to ask access these sites is prohibitive. Yeah. And so if we just take, you know, Green Castle as a microcosm, we can think about what this means if you're living in other rural areas. Mm-hmm. We can think about what this means if you're living in an in inner city. We can think about what this means if you're living in um, a city and you have a decent job, but, you know, rent is $2,000 a month, right? Yeah. You're like, New York City, right? Like it's, it becomes prohibitive, right, in order to be able to afford these things. And so there are just so many levels and so many ways that people can become disenfranchised from their ability to access something and also, for their ability to create something and then to have that be valued and seen by the rest of the world, because they just don't have the money to compete with big you know multinational corporations that have been yeah. you know stockpiling money for you know for decades <laughs> honestly right yeah, yeah. Um, and and can become monopolies and so you know like there are so many ramifications to this that you know we really need to be careful um, and cautious about proceeding down this this road. <laughs>
0: Leanne Goins is assistant professor in the Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Department at DePaul University, where she teaches courses on women in the Internet and media and marginalized bodies. In Part 3, I'll be talking to computer science professor Doug Harms about the technical realities of how networks actually work and how that relates to net neutrality. Modern Media is a production of the Pulliam Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media.